0: Hi everyone, this is Jay, and welcome to another episode of 50 Shades of Jay. So today's topic, um, I think I'm going to call this one something like internal-external, something like that, like these two opposites, uh, internally and externally, and you know, sometimes I record things just because I'm thinking about it at the moment. And um, I think I thought about this subject on and off for quite some time, but but lately this is sort of very um, relevant and something I'm kind of thinking about a lot at the moment and experiencing through conversations with other people. And probably a few things that came up with uh, my conversation with Ian on one of my last episodes. So, um, and, you know, like a lot of the themes on this is going to be loosely based around Ashtanga Yoga and uh, there's a few reasons I'll probably just they will explain themselves as as they go on. So I kind of had this thought around um internal focus as opposed to um your focus being more external and i and when i thought about this i realized that there's quite a few things i've done in my life where there was a, a similar theme and and i kind of realized that is one of the things that also drew me into Ashtanga Yoga. Because for me, when I found Ashtanga Yoga, especially, um, I don't mean to compare so much, but it's just good to see the, the differences between different things. When I looked to other styles of yoga, for me, one of the, one of the, many things that drew me in, but one of the things that drew me in was that, in a way, Ashtanga Yoga Shalas almost felt a little bit underground, (laughs) in a way. um, You know, there was these pretty dimly lit rooms, pretty basic, nothing fancy. You know, most of the time places I've been, it's just a room. You know, the first place that I practiced was just a, it was a gymnasium room, you know, darkly lit, with just these focused people, kind of breathing and moving and I found that really attractive, <laughs> you know. I wasn't drawn to the nice studios with, you know, fancy kind of wardrobes and music, and I don't know. I'm not criticising that. It's just we're all drawn to different things, but I was always drawn to um, to to that kind of energy. And when I thought back to lots of things I'd done, they were they were all quite similar, and they all had a similar feeling to him and it made me think back to when i first started really uh, i guess training properly you know i did a lot of, i did an abundance of sports when i was a kid uh, i went to an all-boys school and it was just very focused on sports just to keep that <laughs> focus for our energy but um I'll get. i'll tell you a story when when uh, my dad's uncle his name was uh, henry and and he was a very fit guy and it's kind of interesting because for for a lot of men i knew of my dad's age and especially uh his father's age you know that age group you know war veterans he was very fit and quite muscular like as in you know he kind of worked out which you know none of the men in my area did you know some of them were quite fit and strong but probably mostly from doing manual labor, not from uh, <laughs> not going down the gym. But Henry was very, um, I think in a way, he was like one of these early bodybuilders back in the day, pioneers, you know. And even as an old guy, he used to wear, you know, quite short rolled up sleeves on his shirt and chest puffed out. And he it, it was a bit cool, actually. I always liked him. And uh you know, all the men in my family were quite physical, actually, but uh, but Henry was this kind of character. Anyway, he used to work at the Old Vic Theatre. If anyone's been to London, it's quite a famous theatre down in Waterloo, not far from where I grew up. And, um, uh, yeah, he was like a maintenance guy there or something. I can't remember what he did. But anyway, he, had, he set up his own gym in the basement. And uh, as a teenager, you know... I don't know whose idea it was, but I used to go down there and train with him. So I'd go from school and I'd go and do weights with him and do, uh, you know, learning sort of basic weight training. Um, anyway, I used to train with him and it got to a point where, you know, I think he could see that there was a limitation to what I could do there with him. And again, this was like a pretty, you know, run down old cellar. And we'd go down there and train, you know. It was like kind of focused time and it was really good. Anyway, his friend is a guy called Dave Prowse. Probably you've never heard of this guy. But he played Darth Vader <laughs> in in the Star Wars movies. Like, uh, There's a famous story because uh, he never did the voice, you know. I think they recorded some scenes with him. And he's from the north of England, this guy. And um Obviously the voice didn't match. <laughs> so I think they edited his voice out and um, dubbed in, uh, you know, who is it? James L. Jones, whoever played the voice of, um, of Darth Vader. But anyway, Dave Prowse, he was a big guy. You know, I think he was a, quite a famous strong man, bodybuilder in the UK back in the day. And he had this gym in South London near Borough High Street borough market if anyone knows that and again pretty rundown place and he used to run it with his two sons james and steve and uh i used to go there as a teenager for free and the deal was i had to tidy up the weights and kind of look after the place a little bit which i never really did because james and steve were pretty chilled and they just let me do whatever and i was like a young kid who used to come down there and train and yeah, it was great this place was epic i loved it it was this old spit and sawdust place uh and it was just had a great energy you know it was just really sociable place i made some lifelong friends there as a teenager great social thing really run down i mean nowadays you don't get gyms like that at all really i think but um Especially in those locations, but it was great. I learned the basics of uh, you know powerlifting, really strength training. Uh, some amazing training partners, and really, you know, learned how to train strength in my body at quite a developing uh, age of a teenager. But I always remember, again, you know, it didn't really matter how it looked, but people loved the space. It was a great energy, and everyone was really focused in there. And it didn't matter how it looked. It was not important. It was more important was the space and the people. And that's what really made it. And we all loved it. It was a real, like a family kind of vibe there. I went there for many years as a teenager. And and I realised that I continued that theme a lot through my life, was finding spaces of focused concentration. And uh, it was much more you could say internal in a way, because it didn't really matter where it was or what it looked like. And it was the same when I got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You know, it's like, you know, just it didn't matter where it was. Just I knew the day I tried uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I knew this was what I was like, this is for me. It's like I walked in a room and just, it's funny to think back now what I used to do, but, you know, I walked into his room of just, thousands of men just breathing and sweating just trying to choke each other unconscious i was just instantly drawn to it i was like i need to do this this is epic but it was you know it didn't really matter what it was it was just this super focused room of people and and it didn't matter where it was and uh, i fell in love with that for years you know i dedicated years of my life to that and it was amazing it was a great experience and um Anyway, I'll digress. i'm not going to go on a on a tangent on jiu jitsu That was a huge part of my life but um and then the same with Ashtanga in the way you know and I heard all these stories of um these old shala's back in the day and, and it, I've heard so many stories like this, and especially from the older generation of practitioners that you know they go into this room they probably saw some poster advertised about practicing yoga in some abandoned church or some old building and you know they walk in there's just these super focused people breathing and moving and and you know developing this internal concentration this focused concentration this this type of concentration that is very much internal as opposed to external and when i think back to all these places i've done these different practices they lots of the time it was very easy to get into a flow state, it was very easy to get into this time loss, this space where you're in your body breathing and moving and you're not really thinking about anything else, how things look, you're just in the zone and we all know that feeling, it's amazing to be in a flow state where you're not really in your mind, you're in your body moving, breathing and you have this kind of focused energy. And there's so many things I've done in my life that have developed concentration and focus, but Ashtanga yoga has definitely been the peak, the apex of that. It's I've heard so many other practitioners talk about that, this ability to concentrate and focus. And, and I don't think that necessarily takes a long time to develop that, it's just, it's part of the practice. But again, it's a very, internal feeling and i think i'm gonna just go into that a little bit more because there's there's layers to that i feel there's many many layers to that internal concentration and i think there's stages of it where it's like peeling back the onion you you just keep going you know it's i think in the beginning you know when you see beginners in a yoga studio in a room in the most of the time they're looking around what other people are doing, how they look, what they're wearing, you know, whatever. They're looking around, it's very difficult to concentrate. Their mind's all over the place and that. You see people change over time, that, that awareness becomes much more insular. It, it starts to bring about this, uh, the external starts to drop away bit by bit And then it becomes this other type of focus and it just starts going deeper and deeper and deeper. Not for everybody, but for me, it's, uh, yeah, it feels like you're peeling back these layers of an onion of yourself internally with your breath and your, your concentration and to the point where I think that it becomes this central focus of your, your inner line. And, you know, Ian talks about this with this, with his philosophy of Banda, but I, I feel that it's, it becomes this center point of your being, your, your abdomen, your, around your hip. It could be lots of different places, but it becomes this very internal feeling. And to me, that's where the magic happens, you know, that's really where the the time loss, the the concentration starts to kind of peak, and it, and you know the days I find that when I'm practicing is are the best. They really are, and there's nothing quite like that. Maybe it's not so easy to put into words, but it's uh, it's an experience, and it's it brings about a certain quality. And to be honest, these days I. I kind of mostly like practicing on my own, you know, the kind of dimly lit room uh, with as least distractions as possible. And that can be hard, <laughs> especially with modern day living. But I mean, there's nothing quite like this, the energy of a good shala with the right teacher and the right space. And that brings about a different concentration and uh, energy that can allow us to kind of push Maybe and go to some other places in our body and mind, and uh... but it's very different to practicing on your own, and really, I think that's where I get the most from in terms of the internal experience. And yeah, it's uh, when I look back, I think I've always been drawn to that, I've always been drawn to these kind of more deeper internal practices rather than these, what I would say, are more superficial, external types of practices where your concentration is much more outside on how things look or just generally externally. And it's kind of interesting because where I teach and practice mostly at the moment, um, we've on yoga in a studio in Gamm Leela Leela Studio. I would say it's quite an external place in a way. You know, it's it's very pretty. There's big windows and you have a nice view of the east side of Oslo. And, and, you know, on the days when you come in early and it's dark and the sun rises sort of mid-practice or at the end of your practice, that's beautiful. It's like a very beautiful feeling. But admittedly, I mostly find that distracting. <laughs> and I do enjoy aspects of that, but, it mostly takes me out of where I'm actually trying to really go, which is um, this inner concentration, this inner self. And uh, it's interesting what we're drawn to as practitioners or wherever, you know, Ian spoke about this in his last uh, podcast with me when I used to practice with him in Bali, in, in this cafe, it's above a cafe it's like a raw food place called the seeds of life and upstairs they have this space that in the morning it's the shala for spacious yoga for ian and then afterwards they turn it into more like a seated area anyway it's not so high but if you go up there there's a little view Uh, if the blinds are rolled up and as ian's noted on the last episode sometimes when i'd come in in the morning i'd get there pretty early and some other practitioners would roll the blinds up, and Ian would come in and, <laughs> and roll them back down and And I knew then I knew what he was doing you know, I know I know what his focus was. I know where he was trying to um, not push you, but take you is probably a better word, and it's this uh, holding space for you to go inward rather than outward and finding that inner voice or finding that space within yourself where the external starts to drop away and your ability to listen to that internal voice becomes highly focused it's like a tuning fork it just it gets tuned continuously the more you do it and the deeper you go the more layers you peel back the the easier it is to listen to that and the more yeah like you're tuning an instrument it's it's a very different experience. And like I say, I was kind of looking for the least amount of distractions possible. And and I tried to take that into my teaching style, you know, and it's every Mysore room and every yoga studio and shahala is different. And there's nothing wrong with um, shahalas or studios or teachers that bring about a different focus. But it for me, I'm always drawn to those teachers that can hold space for you to go inward rather than creating distractions that may take you outward and for me it's a completely different energy and it's a completely different feeling in a room where someone is holding this neutral space for you to go inward it's what a good yoga teacher in my opinion should do is not make the room about themselves, it's not about them at all. It's holding space for you to explore and it's neutral. It should never be dependent on how that person is from day to day, it should be a giving space that allows you to explore. And when it's neutral like that, and you really go inward and you allow what to come up, if you allow yourself to go inward to bring about what may be and what may come up whatever that is that's a lot of where the growth stuff comes from for me that's where the real digging can happen and the real exploration of yourself can uh, take 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 you to different places it can really unfold in that way but for me a good especially a good Mysore room and a good Mysore teacher and a good space is is one that allows that to happen where, and in a way it's kind of um, not controlled, but um, it has a framework, you know, it has a framework where we all agree to be in this space and um, take care of that in a way. It's it's sacred, It's to me it's like a church, it's a very sacred kind of place to be and explore and it's not one where, the teacher is trying to take you out of that. They're actually trying to create a space to allow you to go deeper into that. And again, I, I try to embody that in my own teaching style and practice. And um, again, for me, that's really where, where the magic happens, where you have this kind of neutral space to explore. and. Um, You know, it's interesting being in different yoga studios these days and other places I've worked and, you know, some things just make my skin crawl, if I'm honest. You know, when you go to a studio or a class and... I don't really understand it. I mean, I'm sure it makes people feel good, but, you know, music and incessant talking and... I'm not really sure where that came from or where it became popular or why it became popular. But for me, it's a far is far removed from what I think of as of yoga practice. I, I don't really understand it. I think that maybe in the beginning, I'm not really sure that, you know, people think it's fun maybe to play music and to just incessantly talk and describe in detail to people what they should and shouldn't do with their bodies and this here and that there. And I never learnt yoga that way for me. it's. Uh, I don't understand it. And again, there's space for everything and uh, people are drawn to that. It's cool, you know, whatever floats your boat. But for me, it's, I don't really understand it. I think it's far removed from what I think of as yoga practice, especially where the roots came from. And I think about these these people that were real seekers, and i think of myself as a seeker you know and i think we all are we all come to this seeking something there's a there's a drive there's a there's a pull towards these practices and you know for a long time i wasn't even sure why i, I was drawn to it it was just but i knew i had to trust it and go with it but i think really there's this drive to balance our energies out. And once we find a practice or a space that can bring that about, we're just intuitively drawn to that. I think, I've said this before, I see ourselves as energetic beings. And for me, as humans and all species and all consciousness, there's always this desire, this pull to find balance between two opposing things and i think that's what draws us to these things and when i think about these seekers that you know out in these difficult places these difficult parts of the world in caves in forests in in nature cold hungry you know going through these different practices to bring about these heightened senses of experience to go inward to take themselves into their bodies, into these spaces where, I can't really describe the word, I don't wanna use magic again, but something happens. Something that is probably difficult to explain, but for me, this is about bringing about inner strength. It's about bringing about self-empowerment. And I think that comes from learning yourself and knowing yourself better, and knowing the things that drive you, and knowing the things that make you afraid, and knowing the things that you're frightened of. And I think that comes about from going inward and exploring yourself into these deeper layers of yourself that is more about the internal than it is the external. And I really do feel like this brings about an inner strength because When I relate internal and external, I think of that in terms of how do you give yourself power, how do you define yourself, how do you seek information, are you reliant on other people to help you and to tell you what to do or does that come internally from a place you trust that for me is is the epitome of inner strength, is when all you have to do really is listen and not from a place of fear, which I think mostly drives people to look for external advice. And I think that we all need teachers from time to time, but really a good teacher and a good space to practise is someone and something that enables you to trust yourself more so you're not reliant on other people and teachers to tell you what to do all the time and for me that's been one of the biggest things around the ashtanga yoga system is self-empowerment is teachers and spaces that cultivate that i mean there are some teachers and spaces that don't cultivate that and unfortunately that can be quite common people looking for followers and Uh, people to make them feel good, you know, students to make teachers feel good, to feel worthy. And they're taking their power away from them and it makes me sad that that's, that is the case in some places, but it's not how I learn it and it's not how I teach it. And really, a good teacher is teaching you real self-empowerment to trust yourself and to guide you along the way, but really, mostly, they're teaching you to think for yourself, feel for yourself, be decisive on your own so that you can make strong decisions about the direction of your life, coming from a place of knowledge and trust within yourself without fear. And that's the, the other layers to this, you know. It's all, it's all interesting what we do with <laughs> putting our legs behind our head and, I don't know, all these other physical movements, but they're... You know, the real juice is these other layers. And it's fun, don't get me wrong, I love using my body and and vinyas and jumps and you know, all of it going into my body on a daily basis. But which is, uh, can be difficult at times or two. <laughs> I'm having a bit of a difficult thing at the moment, but um but yeah, these other layers to me is really where the where the juice is and And in a way, I think part of it is this ability to not need so much, you know. When I think again back to these sannyasins or these sadhus, these practitioners, these seekers that would go, you know, reading these stories back in the day of even Buddha's story, you know, these renunciates, just, you could say in a way, going to extremes, well, definitely, extremes, these practices of renunciation and taking the body into these extreme states to renounce things, to take away the need to strengthen the mind and the body to the point where you don't need so much. And I think there's a power in that, you know, there's a power in not needing so much or at least having the patience to wait when you need something, you know? And when I think about the opposite of that, you know, kind of maybe rich, entitled people, I see, you know, mostly I see that as a weakness. You know, it's, you need so much, you know? You need so much to feel comfortable. You need so much to feel good about yourself. This kind of comfortable lifestyle with everything at your will, when you need, when you want someone else to run around and do it for you it's this kind of privileged entitled lifestyle that you know in in our culture and society now is sort of seen as uh successful you know it's uh it's an aspiration for a lot of people to a goal to ha- have this kind of um comfortable wealthy lifestyle with everything you want and when you need it and I really don't think that leads to happiness. I think it gives you options and some sense of freedom, but I don't think it makes you happy. And I think generally it can kind of make you weak and very needy and very kind of fragile. And uh, I think the practices that I've been talking about today do the opposite. They uh, Maybe trying to encourage the the sense of self-empowerment where you don't need so much and at least, yeah, you can be patient in that moment where you're not going to act out and freak out when you don't get what you want when you want. And we've all seen that in society, you know, people can be like children, you know, throwing the toys out of the pram when they don't get what they want and what they want. And it's a weakness. And it's something that I don't want to encourage with, especially with my teaching style or my own practice, is a neediness around that, you know, to have super nice things you know we don't need so much in life and it's nice to be in nice homes and studios and things like that and charlas there's nothing wrong with that it's great you know but when i think back to the things i've been drawn to over the years it's it's not so important it's more about the energy of the room the other practitioners the people that focused energy you know it's um It's like a relationship. And I I thought of this the other day, and when I think about yoga practice and shalas, to me, it's a a relationship between two things. Like everything is relational, yeah? My relationship with a teacher, as same way with my relationship with a student, it's a give and take thing. You know, there is a transaction of money because we all need to like, earn money and get by and that's cool and it gives us a sense of value and worth but in a way that's not the that's not the main exchange that's going on for me you know when I think about my relationship to a teacher I feel like I'm giving as much as I'm receiving in that room and we know that within that room that like anything in life you get out what you put in and, you know, if you're looking at it as a service that you're buying and you go there, you pay your money and then you get something, and you go out? To me, that's shallow. It's not going to give you so much. It's not so rewarding, you know. It's it's a give and take thing. And I think the Mysore room is the... The Mysore Ashtanga Vinyasa room is the... is beautiful for that because it's so energetically relational you know there's so much around give and take between the student the room the practitioner and the teacher it's this give and take organism and you feel it as a teacher and you feel it as a student what you're giving to that room what you're giving to that space and what the teacher and the other students and the other practitioners are giving to that space it's uh Everyone raises the vibration in there. Everyone gives something and everyone receives something. It's, it's beautiful. And I don't really, honestly, if I'm being really honest, I don't really feel that or see that so much in other styles of yoga. Not to be critical, it's just my own personal observation and seeing other rooms, it's it's different. I think the Mysore room, the Mysore style of um Yoga practicing and teaching is special. It has a special energetic quality, which is why I'm drawn to it. Why I do it. Why I teach it. Why I practice it. It has a certain kind of depth, uh, a certain sort of inward um, quality to it. You know, I, I I really can't understand how you can go inward so much when there's music and people talking and it's uh, it's just a distraction you know for me and I'm not being critical it's just my own personal opinion it's it's not something I'm drawn to I think I've practiced with music before it definitely gives you something there's a certain maybe energy to that and a a kind of feeling but uh, it takes me away it takes me out of where I really want to be and mostly when I'm practicing that's it's always the inward journey, it's always the the quietness, the stillness, the breath, the body, the movement, the the focus inward that has brought about the most change for me and brought about the most insights into my life and cultivating an intuition. So I think everything else can be a distraction. i think there's space for that i think there's space for other styles i think there's space for different practices that give you different things but um you know the inward journey of uh, a quiet room with the right space and the right people is is gold you know it's um uh, it's a different feeling but uh yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot lately Mm what I'm drawn to and what I see and neither of them are right or wrong but I think it's interesting what what we're drawn to and where, where our attention goes to and uh, in a way, you know, when I think about modern yoga studios and shalas and there seems to be this energy I see of um you know I don't want to use well-being I mentioned this maybe once before on a on one of the podcasts but you know I, I think a lot of people go to yoga to feel good and I get that it's cool you know we we have stressful lives and we have pain in our bodies and we we want to feel better we want to feel good we want things to feel better we we want to fix something, you know. And I, I said this before, but I don't really, maybe necessarily practice for that reason. Mm. For me, it's generally mostly always been about this inward exploration, and I think the byproduct of that is um, the benefits we see in our physical and mental state, and. Don't get me wrong, I think yoga is an amazing tool you know, healing the body and healing the mind and bringing about balance and there's so many facades to what the yoga practice gives us but um, in a way, you know, it can be maybe a little bit misleading to think that the only reason to go is to kind of feel good because I think when you generally, genuinely find a practice, an authentic practice, that suits and fits you, that you can go and explore, that that won't always feel good, yeah? It won't always feel good some days. And I don't think an authentic practice should because I don't think you can really go in and explore all of the aspects of who you are with that feeling good all the time. And I think that what I see a lot in the yoga world uh, these days is more of a a feel good thing, and more of a a spa kind of feeling, you know, and more of a an external, superficial sort of aspect to why we might go somewhere. Maybe the focus is on cost, prices, discounts, looks, you know, how it looks, you know very external. Again, you know, a lot of the, a lot about how things look rather than the authenticity of the teachers, the energy of the room and what the, what the kind of intention is of that particular place and what the teacher and what, and what they're trying to convey to you around, and what I think is an authentic yoga practice. And again, not being critical, there's space for everything, but it's interesting what I see where where I think largely yoga is going, which is this um, feel good kind of um, maybe pampering, you know, maybe the focus is to to kind of see as a service where someone is paying and you're trying to make people feel good at the end of it before they leave or walk out. And to me, that's not what I do. (laughs) It's not why I go in and it's not what I try to teach because maybe you won't feel good at the end of practice. And I think that a lot of times, some days we won't. Who knows what might come up? Who knows what might bring itself about in the body, in your nervous system, in your mind that day? It's uh, it's a lottery, who knows? But I feel like if a teacher or a space is trying to kind of, you know, what's the word? Not push, but Um, take you in a certain direction where they want you to feel good and want you to kind of be smiley and happy. And maybe that's not really where you're at that day. You know, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to go in on a difficult day. And I've had a few difficult days in my practice the last week with someone trying to kind of take me out of that and take me somewhere else because there's a reason I feel that way. There's a reason something's come up in my body. There's a reason something's blocked or stuck or there's a reason I'm having a strong reaction to that there's a reason I'm having a difficult and a negative reaction to something in my body that I don't like but it's there it's true that's really how it is it's the truth it's honest it's what my body is telling me and what I don't want is someone to try and take me out of that and take me away from that because there's that's where the gold is. That's where the change can occur. That's where the insights come. That's where you meet yourself. You see yourself as you are with, without other influence. And again, different practices have different intentions, but for me, the Ashtanga yoga system and other practice I've had, they've always been about the, the truth. It's always been about seeing things as they are, as about exploring what is there. And a lot of times it can be difficult. A lot of times that is not what I want at the moment. You know, I'm not gonna go too much into it. I've definitely been experiencing some anger and I've been definitely experiencing things in my body related to that. And that's just what's there, it's all right. (laughs) There is some anger there. There's some emotions that I find a little bit difficult. There's, at times it's not nice to be in my body some days at times it's painful and uncomfortable and i'm meeting a lot of resistance but i have to take the rough with the smooth, the pleasure with the pain there's days that i like that and this you know when i come back to the original you know when i think about these these sunny ascents, these sadhus these seekers it's it's Search for truth, it's the search for reality, it's the search for the real, what's really there. And what I like to practice and what I like to teach is a space for you to explore what's really there, whatever it is. Yeah, I might just leave that there. So, ciao.